Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, joined again by Jane Oates, who is the president of Working Nation. We had Jane on last year in May and had such a good time. We wanted to have her back. Jane, welcome to Trending in Education. And I had a great time and thrilled to be back, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. And the work that you're doing at Working Nation is certainly worth noting. Can you catch our audience up quickly on who you are and what Working Nation does? Well, I'm a recovering teacher who became a federal and state policy person in executive and legislative branches. I joined Working Nation six and a half years ago. Working Nation is a nonprofit media entity that exclusively tells the stories of transitions from education to work and from work back to education to get a better job. So, I mean, after a, a lifetime of teaching and researching and doing policy, this is like a dream job. But right now, I would say there's some really cool things going on at Working Nation. I'll give you just a couple. Sure. One will be coming out in September with a short video series that we've done on how community colleges are improving the outcomes for single moms. Mm -hmm. So the statistics are abysmal, right? Nationwide, a single mom takes six years to get her associate's degree. Wow. So those nerds in your audience understand that that means she has used up all of her Pell eligibility. She's done. Yeah. So if she wants to go on and get a four-year degree, it's all on her. Mm -hmm. So I think we talked to probably two or 300 campuses we're going to highlight a few and get a lot of leaders and talk about some of the things that they've done that have really started to move the needle. Slow and steady is how I would put this. Yeah. You know, there's no rocket language in progress here. These are real human beings with real challenges and some of them real obstacles. So I'm excited to start that series, get talking about it. You'll see me talking about it a lot. So that's exciting. Then also in September, we are doing what I hope will be another beginning of a series of work that we do. We're going to do a live filmed panel series in Atlanta on hiring people with disabilities. Hmm. So literally, you know, colleges, some colleges have gotten really good with giving kids the adaptations that they need, whether they're physically handicapped, deafblind, mm -hmm. whether they're on the spectrum, they've got learning disabled, you know, I mean, they've gotten much better at doing accommodations, but the workforce hasn't really kept speed with that. One place where education has outpaced the employers. Nice. Excellent. Make your wins where you can. For sure. Yeah. And universal design for learning is something we've talked about a lot on this show. And I know that that does relate a lot to learning products, but that's a, a good note that it doesn't always translate necessarily into lifelong learning. And that's a good reminder too for our listeners in that you're really spanning the full life cycle, trying to understand how education and work connect to one another and how, you know, in a perfect world, they're kind of seamlessly integrated throughout our lives. It's a very confusing time when people think about careers and their futures. You know, I have a four-year-old and thinking about what he might be doing, you know, 15 years from now when he's looking for career tracks, it does make me think, you know, we need to move those conversations up as early as possible, expose people to different pathways, and then also expose them to the reality that they may do jobs that don't even exist yet. That's right. And we may need to rethink the types of skills and competencies that we all need as humans to be effective. I know this is the type of stuff you and Working Nation are thinking about 
all the time. Any high-level thoughts? And then maybe we can drill down from there. Yeah, I mean, I think something that you said sparked me when you said human skills. There are uniquely human skills, and those are always going to be the skills that are in high demand. Think, you know, the simple ones, you know, the Maslow order of thinking in, in terms of 2023 working with other people, sharing things your son's learning in pre-K, right? And, yeah. and soon we'll learn in K. But also really that problem-solving ability, those synthesizing and analyzing things. It's going to take a long time for even the best generative AI to catch up with the human brain. Right. So I think all of those, the creativity end of it, you know, I mean, I think the more we can embed those kinds of skills at every age, you know, teach kids unlike when I was growing up, teach kids that there's not one right answer. Mm -hmm. You know, that there are, there are lots of ways. Two plus two is only four in base 10. Right. You know, so make sure that kids know that they're not going to get penalized for having the wrong answer. Their diverse answer might give us new pathways to vast new learning and, you know, new opportunity. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned generative AI where pretty much every episode <laughs> winds up Going there, and if you're thinking about, you know, educating the broader workforce around what's happening out there, certainly artificial intelligence is top of mind for a lot of people. The interesting related point, and, and I think you were touching on it there, is like as AI picks up more skills, how does the human relate to that? You know, it is a bit of a dance, mm -hmm. and I will throw out the Ginger Rogers quote, you know, you have to dance better in heels walking backwards. I'm not she sure. She did it backwards in heels, in right? In heels, yes. And I'm not sure who's leading right now, but like we have to figure out how do we dance with this new technology? And it does feel like there are certainly minefields and blind alleys you don't want to walk down, but it feels like from a workforce development perspective, the riskiest move right now would be stay away entirely. It feels like a level of engagement with this new and emerging toolkit is important. I know you think a lot about digital literacy and, you know, skills gaps that are out there, but any thoughts on the right mindsets to kind of engage with the disruptions that we're seeing out there in the marketplace? Yeah. I mean, look, Mike, this is going to be the biggest disruption we've ever seen, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and I think there's two ways to behave. It's to panic or to embrace it. Yeah. And I would say people that are in that panic mode should look back. Think of your first microwave oven, right? Yeah. You didn't make everything in the microwave. In fact, maybe it started with just popcorn. Right. But all of a sudden, the microwave oven was integrated into your kitchen practices. Right. The same thing with the cell phone. You know, how many people told us nobody's ever going to use a cell phone? We're always going to have landlines. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then poor Motorola. Nobody's ever going to use their phone to take pictures. Right. You no. Know? And you think about So I would really encourage everybody who isn't already to play with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, whether it's a chat GPT or another language based AI, maybe you want to use a machine learning based AI. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's lots of opportunities out there, but I would say familiarize yourself with it so you're not afraid. I mean, we have learned as a nation to learn with technology, and it's certainly we would all agree that it's improved our learning ability. You know, we used to have to go and get that 
whatever it was, 30 volume Encyclopedia Britannica to get an answer for what's the capital of Nigeria. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the idea now that we can get that at our phone in 30 seconds, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. changed our lives. I think that with the right attitude and with the right learning, AI is going to be just as much of a power tool. I think that it could really revolutionize education. I mean, I think personalized learning is really possible if teachers embrace AI. You know, why should your kid do 30 problems adding with, you know, without any carrying, you know, simple addition? Why should they do 30 problems if they can prove they can do the three hardest problems on the page? That just doesn't make sense to me that they should waste time. They should instead go on to problem solving and application. And I feel the same way about healthcare. Mm. I mean, I think AI is already mm-hmm. having an impact on healthcare. Think about it. If someone can really look at your genetic makeup and tell you at 30, mm-hmm. you know, that you're more likely to have high blood pressure than not, mm-hmm. then you can start, you know, reducing salt and exercising more and worrying about your weight and not wait until it hits you at 40 or 50, or God forbid you die of a stroke. Right. You know what I mean? So I think it's going to be a game changer and people should be a lot more optimistic about it, but you can't do that if you're ignorant to the possibilities. So mm. you should play with it. Yeah. The note about optimism is a real one too, where I think it's easy, you know, the new season of Black Mirror is out and I've barely watched the first episode because I feel like I'm living in Black Mirror. So I don't necessarily, things are dystopian enough outside my door. I'm actually seeking optimism and the courage to be hopeful about the future. That's where I do feel like these technologies come online just in time frequently to solve big problems. And if you look at the, the climate issues that we're facing on a global level, if you look at the, the crisis of civility that we're facing due to social media and just the, the absence of a genuine, you know, common discourse that we can all engage in, like those are big, real problems that we're going to need to have smart people working on, but they're also going to have to be equipped with the right tools. I know you're also looking at the labor statistics and the fact that even as old jobs are going away, are being, you know, we're losing jobs in certain sectors, certain things are becoming automated. At the same time, new jobs are emerging and new skills are needed to fill those jobs. Any way in which you can characterize that for our listeners to get a sense of where the where the new opportunities are emerging or where where the broader like labor marketplace is these days? Yeah, I mean, look, I was on a panel with, I don't know whether you've had John Bailey on the show, but he's he's a great thinker. And we were on a panel and he said, you know, everybody's freaking out that AI is going to take your job. AI is not going to take your job. People with AI skills are going to take your job. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the the thing I would say first, but where do I see growth? Look, I think that, there's real growth still in healthcare and education and gigantic shortages in terms of teachers and nurses. You know, two years ago, if we were speaking, I would have said there's lots of opportunity outside of doctors and nurses in healthcare, but now the real the real need is in nursing staff. Mm. But I think that telehealth and human genome kinds of adaptations and applications are where the real interest is. So how do you prepare for that? You do better in biology and chemistry. And that doesn't mean, oh gosh, I'm 40 
You know, I didn't really take organic chemistry. It means go back and take a course online. Right. Familiarize yourself with the stuff. Take a simple course in terminology so that you can really get in the game on those. I think there's they're tremendously growing fields. And I would say, you know, I'm still a huge optimist on green. You know, I think electrification of cities is really going to happen. I mean, whether it's big macro projects like the grid, I think utility companies are going to be really creative, interesting places to work for in the next 10 years. As they figure out how do you deal with the demands of today's consumer? You can't get rid of fossil fuels, but how do you equally put time in developing new ways mm. to use safer, cleaner energy? And and yes, it's charging stations. Yes, you know, it's the batteries that we're talking about and all the jobs. And is that going to eliminate some jobs? You know, maybe in 20 years, we're not going to need any diesel mechanics anymore and they're right. all going to be electric engine mechanics. Right. So what does that tell me? Start including electric vehicle repair in your diesel management classes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, it does make me think about, you know, I've heard it called the 60-year curriculum or like if we're going to be living to be 100, you know, regardless of whether that is from a formal educational institution or am I just piecing together online stuff, finding it on YouTube, whatever it is, it does seem like the idea that you front load your education and then just work for the rest of your life is being replaced. Or maybe it always has been the case, but it's much more front of mind now that absolutely we're always reskilling, we're always relearning, and that flexibility, adaptability is kind of the key to success and being future proof and relevant as things go haywire. That's right. And, you know, I really, again, optimist because I love traditional higher ed. I think traditional higher ed is going to adapt because they understand that if they don't adapt, they're going to be out of business. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially over the next 20 years, where unless something dramatic happens with immigration policy in our country, we have a declining birth rate, right? right, right. So that means if there's fewer kids born this year than there were last year, there's going to be fewer kids graduating from high school for those years too. Mm -hmm. So how do these colleges really pivot and take advantage of the gigantic need, whether it's, you know, the the 40 million Americans who have some college and no degree, do they mm. bring them back in an easier way to complete their degree? Or do they at the same time, in addition to pivot to really being that just-in-time bite-sized learning that online education has been. And, you know, as they're thinking about that, the online products are getting better and better. Right. There used to be a question about quality back in the old days when it was like, work at your own pace. It was like, oh, who's measuring this? And what employer lets you work at your own pace? What? But they're not, that. They're they are really high quality. Most of them, if not all, are much higher quality. Mm -hmm. They're real time. They're focusing on skills that are required for in-demand jobs. So therefore, they're much more relevant in many cases than their traditional peers. So I'm hoping every year more and more traditional colleges wake up. Yeah, I saw your interview on IdeaGen and I was struck by, we'll include that in the show notes, the level to which you were talking about motivation as a problem and how, you know, really empathy for the workforce who's out there when you were describing single mothers or folks with disabilities who are having trouble just getting access to things. There is almost a shift in mindset 
that is needed nowadays to understand what barriers are in the way of folks who will really benefit from an education or from different pathways to a good job. That does seem like a broader theme really across all of what Working Nation is doing, but, but can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, our original, Working Nation's original mission was to educate and inform both individuals, entities, and employers. But since COVID, I feel like motivation has become a much bigger part of it. Mm. A 62% labor market participation rate means 38% of the people in prime age. So that's 25 to 50. You know, we're not talking about people 75 still working or people 15 getting into the workforce. We're talking about prime age adults. Yeah. If 38% of them are sitting on the sidelines, again, I just don't believe that American people are lazy. I instead believe that they're depressed, that they're hopeless. They see this economy churning and changing and getting more complicated every day. Jobs not being simple anymore. You know, I mean, you don't just make change. You have to know how to take Apple Pay and Google Pay. And, you know, it's more and more complicated, even in very simple jobs. And I think we have to let every one of those people know, not only is there a place for them in the new economy, but we need them desperately. Hmm. When JFK, going back to the 60s, decided that ask not what your country does for you, but what you do for your country. It was a real wake-up call for many people to say that people aren't often asked. You know, that the assumption is they know they're invited to join the workforce. They know. But, I mean, so I try to use opportunities all the time, Mike, to say to people, it would be a better life for you if you made money working, you know, above the table. Because I think a lot of these people are working in jobs where they're not having taxes taken out. Mm -hmm. That under the table idea that might just be a Philadelphia jargon. But, you know, if you're not paying taxes, then you're not paying into Social Security. You mm. have as small a safety net as it is for seniors. It is a safety net. Yeah. If you're not paying into taxes, then you're completely at the whim of your employer. You mm. have no worker protection. You have no, you know, you have nothing. You can't get workman's comp. You right. can't get unemployment insurance. So, I mean, come out. Obviously, you're getting more cash in your hand because you're not getting those things taken out. But I think the long term benefits certainly outweigh the short term benefits in getting more money. You have some kind of professional security Mm -hmm. where you don't have that if you're doing many of these jobs, because the first time somebody threatens to call you out for not being on the books, then you're in trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you're panicking. So. Everybody that's on here, if you can only do one thing after this podcast, every listener is to know somebody that thinks they can't get back in the workforce and help them get that confidence and motivation to get back in. Yeah. It does remind me also of the idea of the dignity of work and finding meaning in your life where, you know, feeling that sense of pride. And to me, it it does connect a little bit to the challenges to our, our civic sense of responsibility or connection, but there is the idea that if I am actually contributing somehow, it will make my life more meaningful and maybe looking more later in life. Any thoughts on what may happen to the aging side of the workforce? Because that is something I know you also think about, and it is an interesting time in that folks will be living longer, their nest eggs will need to be around longer, and it's likely that people are going to have to work 
later and later into their lives. If you can connect that to a sense of meaning, it can actually be a good thing. I'd love to get a little bit of your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, look, I think whenever I I think about this, I think that there are two kinds of workers. One kind of worker, it's a very labor-intensive job. You're on your feet a lot. You're lifting yeah. heavy equipment. And that can be anything from working in manufacturing to working in construction to working in home health care, right, where you have to mm-hmm. lift patients. Yeah. So there is probably a shelf life on your skeletal structure, right? right I mean, right. sometime your body's going to give out. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people in the construction sector and talked about how they could talk about their transferable skills and move in to a more sedentary or at least less physical job. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so that I can't go out and fish for tuna anymore because I can't pull in those nets. But what things about being my own boss, having my own fishing rig? being my own boss, you know, being a plumber, what could I do next? And there are so many things. And I think this is a place where I think people underestimate the transition from the typical professional world to the nonprofit world. Mm. I have seen so many people, you brought up meaning and, you know, finding meaning in work. You take the skills you learned you know, as a whatever, and you bring them into a nonprofit, bring all that knowledge and experience in and improve that nonprofit and see every day how that nonprofit is helping people help themselves. Mm. You know, there's an organization in your hometown in New York, Robin Hood, who does that on a really scalable level. They bring in corporate mid-managers and CEO kinds of, not CEOs probably, but CIOs and, and COOs as they're leaving the corporate world. They put them into the management positions. They train them for nonprofits. But I think you could do the same thing at any level mm-hmm. because nonprofits, first of all, they pay they pay a decent wage in most places and they pay quadruple that in meaning and payback mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, am I making a difference in my community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even just being able to Tell a good story about yourself when it comes to your working life, which is another aspect of Working Nation that I've really enjoyed, where, you know, it reminds me all the way back to Studs Turkel and, you know, his working documentary. But the idea of just talk to people who are working about their jobs and frequently it does turn into a conversation about meaning really kind of across the board. And and that's, you know, it's it's an important thing to think about. And it's also coming at a time where people are talking about work-life blend and hybrid and home. And do I go to an office? Any thoughts on some of those awakenings that have happened over the last few years? Yeah. I mean, I think the the most negative thing, the thing that's bothered me are some of the stories that have come out about workers themselves complaining about their peers who are working remotely, not pulling their weight. Hmm. You know, that kind of tension at a workplace for me is toxic, right? Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't be thinking you're not doing your job, particularly if I'm your peer and not your supervisor. Right. But look, I think I think if we want our cities, large and small, to come back, people have to come back to work. Right. Right, We're losing. We have lost so many entrepreneurs, so many small business people. You know, I live outside of Washington, D.C. You're in New York, but I see it in every town I go to, you know, for lease signs. And I heard that amazing statistic that a large named bank sold, I'm sure you saw that, a billion dollars in commercial mortgages to a hedge fund. Mm -hmm. Well, I was like, what does that mean? You know, like that, this is all, this is all bad news. So 
I, you know, I've heard through the grapevine that President Biden is going to, in September, begin asking agencies to bring federal workers back, mm. at least for a partial time to have, you know, a hybrid work environment, not a completely remote environment. Yeah. I think that's really brave mm. and would be a great thing because you know, your listeners might not realize they think, oh, yeah, you're saying that because you live in the D.C. area. But five out of every six federal workers work outside of the D.C. metro area. Hmm. So, you know, they're in every place you can imagine. You think about OSHA offices and you think about IRS offices and yeah. billing centers. And, the, you know, I mean, it's like they're everywhere. So if the federal government defines the new work environment as hybrid rather than totally remote. I think that will help a lot of private employers say to their people, look, you know, we're going to come back into a hybrid environment because I'm quite sure all the rah-rah we heard about productivity working totally remote is really true. Because if you notice, there were lots of stories about that as we came to the crescendo of COVID, not a lot recently. Right. And instead, a lot of people, you know, kind of talking about productivity being down in general, mm -hmm. not blaming it on work style. So I think the new normal is going to be hybrid. I don't think there will be many people who work five, you know, eight hour days in yeah. an office. But I also think, watch out for this in, in the coming year. What are you doing for those workers? What kind right. of benefit are you giving those workers who can't work remotely at all? Mm -hmm. So half the, you know, the nurses, the teachers you know, the construction workers who don't have that opportunity, what kind of benefit are employers going to give them? I think that's going to be the puzzle of 2024. Yeah, it's really interesting when you touch on the risks of being in a toxic culture. You know, it does feel like a lot of people are now making choices to not engage in workplace lifestyles that they really don't find nourishing, don't find, you know, sort of moving them in the right direction. It does seem like we are in a new era of employee empowerment, which I think is somewhat, again, hopeful, optimistic. We're getting close to time here, Jane. Love to have you back on. You're two thirds of your way to a refrigerator magnet. So I do envision, I'm yeah, I'm envisioning a, a third piece to the trilogy. But before we let you go, I'd love to hear any concluding thoughts, anything we didn't touch on that's really capturing your imagination. You want to make sure our listeners hear before they head back to the rest of their lives. I mean, your listeners are probably already doing this, but to everybody, I would just say, you know, take a course, learn something new, continue to push yourself. I'm probably as old or older than your viewers, and it's never, never, never time to stop learning. Great stuff with Jane Oates, the president of Working Nation. You can find what they've got going on at workingnation.com. We'll include a link in the show notes. Jane, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks again for joining. Thank you, Mike. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. Mm -hmm.